Hello again, I'm Karina Givargatov, the founder of Mission Magazine, and welcome to our podcast called My Mission Is. Our next guest has been described as an A-list casting director. She has worked with Alexander Wang at the start of his career trajectory, a partnership that lasted an amazing 10 years. She has worked on photo shoots with industry titans such as the late Irvin Penn to the contemporary genius Tim Walker. On this podcast, we are in awe of how things always seem to fall into place for Bitten when it comes to seeking out her dream jobs. It's as if they find her, from modelling to producing to casting director. We also learn of her desire to come and live in New York at a young age, which appeared to be inspired by the movie Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro. She still speaks with enthusiasm and optimism regarding her job, even in this ever-changing industry. What a pleasure it was to speak to the delightful Anita Bitten on My Mission Is. Anita, thank you. Thank you for taking time out and doing this and being part of our community. And I think what I know some of what you do, but I'd love to know more and how it evolved and how you got into it, like all our readers would, because I think it's a, a career trajectory that I think most wouldn't think exists or it's possible and I'm sure everyone thinks it's very glamorous but I know it's probably absolutely (laughs) glamorous just for a little bit of insight you're the CEO now and creative director of your company the establishment uh, establishment casting how did you get to that I'd, I'd love to know how you got onto the journey of I know before years ago you were a model so how did you go from there to where you are now, like some of the most rewarding challenges. I'm sure every job that comes in or every season is different and brings different challenges and hurdles. Yeah, well, Karina, Charlene, thank you so much. It's always interesting that people find what we do interesting because it almost is, it's almost a reaction to what we're able to do. So I grew up in South London and I modeled, which is so absurd to me, but, but, but I, <laughs> and I was really bad at it. And I, it wasn't something I ever sought out, but what it gave me, because I grew up in complete chaos. And the minute I landed on a photo set, like as a kid, I was like, oh, this is really familiar to me because, you know, I grew up in foster care. I grew up in Southwest London and it wasn't a time when these were bad things. This was, for, for me, my experience as a kid was not terrible because it was all I knew. So to be on this set with people that were all very, in my opinion, glamorous, I've later to find out they're not that glamorous. I was, <laughs> I was super, <laughs> I was super excited. So from a very young age, I sought out chaos in what I wanted to do. Yeah. So be it in school, in work, and I started working as a teenager, as a model. And while it wasn't successful or fulfilling, I got to meet many different people that would then still be in my life years later. So I think my trajectory in life, I was always drawn to the fashion world. I was always drawn to sort of the subcultures of music and clubs. I grew up in central London. So it was a natural trajectory. And I was anti, anti rule. Like I was, if you told me you wanted me to do something, I probably would do the opposite. And, and that was a, you know, now I think we, I have a nine-year-old. I think there's names for that. There's like oppositional defiance <laughs> order. Not that my son has it, but I'm pretty sure they could have given me so many titles. But, you know, instead I was sort of left to my own devices. And 
was able to discover all of these wonder like nightclubs fashion people it's you know and and got introduced to all of this at a very young age and when I was 16 17 I was meant to do an internship a work program and I hadn't sent out my resume and I turned up I went I knew that ID magazine was on Earlham Street I think it's 44 Earlham Street because I was a huge fan of ID and I thought I'm just gonna go in there and drop off my CV so I get in go up the elevator walk in and there's someone you walked into the door it was in a the top of like a building so I walked into the door turned to the left and there happened to be someone sitting there Paul Hunwick so I sort of said to him, oh, hi, I'm, I'm here for work experience. And he said, oh, great, take a seat. <laughs> and, and, and I never really left. So I worked there with this great team at ID. And Edward Enifal was also working there. And he was just about, it was just before he got given the job as fashion director. And I was then sort of put on this sort of weird and wonderful ride of, you know, assisting a fashion editor, proofreading club reviews, writing club reviews, and, and all the wonderful things that go with just turning up on a whim. So so that was my introduction. And honestly, it's all been as magical as that, you know. So, so I think what I take away from everything I've ever done in this business, for better, for worse, I've always been blessed with a sort of the opportunity and I've always run with it so so you know but every night when I worked at ID magazine on Earlham Street every night I'd run across the piazza and I was a waitress at TGI Fridays so <laughs> there was all there's always a high low element to it so to speak so good work yeah <laughs> so I did my thesis I went to Leeds University and I did my thesis on subcultures and Terry Jones and his role in you know, creating these and maintaining them in London in particular. Mm. I was always obsessed with that magazine and that culture and had a deep, deep, deep interest in it. But my big goal was to get to New York. So I had met someone, a friend who was a model agent and she was, she offered me a job. Oh, you want to come to New York? Here, meet so-and-so, come to New York. So two weeks later, I pack a bag and I head off to New York. So, and I was a model agent for, God, how long? I, wo- I worked at Next for like three and a half years. Then I worked at Ford for two and a half years. Then I worked with a p- producer called Kevin Cryer, who. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, he's, he, 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 he was great. It was really fun. But also all these things I had really never done before. So it was quite exciting. So Kevin did a lot of work in Paris, so we got to go to Paris. But the traveling, I at this point wanted to be in New York. So my friend at the time was at school in the Hamptons being a marine biologist and then said, I think I'm going to be a photographer. And um, I said, you know, that's a great idea. I'm going to find you the people for your photo shoot. And so we did. And- oh, my <laughs> Incredible. Anita, 
Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Because it's amazing that you've literally kind of like almost <laughs> dipped to a certain degree, not even just a toe, but a whole foot in certain elements of the business. The fact that you you know what it's like to be in front of a camera at a young age and, you know, what that feeling is like when all the emphasis is on you from behind and people touching, poking around and moving you and this, that and getting told what to do by, from a photographer or whatever, then get into fashion, being in magazines. How much, I mean, because... From my point of view, it's like it seems to have added masses to the fact that it's a big part of who you are and how why you cast so well. What do you feel that it's added to you? Yeah, I think that there's a certain confidence that comes with knowing. It's always like there's a confidence, but you're also delicate with people because what I knew and what I still know is when the emphasis on is on you and how you look is very different than on you and how talented you are tap dancing or how talented you are singing or or if you're doing a portrait of you to celebrate a book that you've written. When it's all about you, my job doing casting, and maybe I'm fast-forwarding a bit, is to truly find the person or be advised this is a great person because it is a big, it's, it's teamwork, And then also sit down with that person and just connect with them and work out in that first five minutes, are they going to be comfortable throwing them into a room of 10 people to look at them? Should we sit them down in the tea room and have a chat? How's your mom? How old are you? Blah, 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 blah. So it is reading each individual on how you're going to get the best out of them when you throw them to the walls, so to speak, in the sense of a casting, because it's quick. There's many people that are looking and there's many boxes to be ticked that has nothing to do with a personality how nice somebody is etc etc it's really to do with the brief at hand so I think having had all of that experience and also grown up the way I grew up in the chaos I think the sort of the empathy as a as, as you get older and as you become a parent you sort of understand it a whole lot more and you move a bit slower and you also understand that there's a trust element with kids, especially with teenagers or with young adults. There's a trust that you have to try and get out of them before you can really believe that you're going to be able to sell this idea to a client. Do you think, Anita, because you were a model beforehand and you've experienced that, that that helps? I mean, do many do many, do many model bookers have that experience of being in front of the camera and being models themselves? Because I think it's really important that they've you've done that before because then you can empathize with the models on set or if someone's having a bad day or they're frightened or, or nervous yeah I think it cut I think that element if you've done public speaking at school or you've been in a school play I think the this the sort of stage fright empathy I don't think you have to be a model the thing you know about being a model is 60% of your work is rejection right so, so as as somebody that works predominantly with models, you want people to come in and go out feeling just feeling like they've done a great job because their job is to turn up, look good, and you know that's it. There isn't a script, there isn't a protocol. They're just we're going purely off of how somebody looks at that moment, you know. So, so I do think it's helpful, but I think. As human beings, anybody that's been on a stage or been put in front of a committee or can empathize with the fact that you're sending a teenager to see a bunch of grown-ups who 
you know, I, I feel like the world is getting nicer, but you know what? It's not, a, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. It's not alive. People can be unpleasant. You know what I mean? And for, for me personally, I want to ensure that the experiences that come in and left like, oh, I, I, I stand a chance. I've got a shot. You know what I mean? And that's a personal approach for sure. But that's how I would like my kid to be treated. And that's how I would have liked to have been treated. And I wasn't always. So I think we learn by our own mistakes, our own experiences, etc. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because there's also... Uh, when I used to do, when I used to be a stylist and I'd work on shows in New York, often it was you have to consider diversity, inclusivity in the industry, and, and I know that's been a hot topic for a while, especially when during casting there's been some controversy in the past in papers and things. And how important do you think it is to get it right and to, but to do it with integrity? I mean, I'm sure you see brands, and we're not naming anyone or shaming anyone here. It's not never, never the intention, but. I think it's, isn't it? I guess it's a fine line. Like, how do you include your projects to embrace diversity in an authentic way or without just ticking a box? I, I, has that got harder over the years? Well, I, I, you know, I think the thing with diversity is the minute you're discussing it, you've already watered it down, right? You're already like, ooh, diversity, ooh, blue is the new black. And I think, you know, for me, growing up, in South London, you know, my foster parents are Indian. My 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 landscape was never. I'm Caucasian with blue eyes and red hair, right? My landscape was never that. And when when I look at, you know, the jobs that we have and the clients that we have and my team, you know, my team is completely diverse in terms of age, ethnicity, sexuality, gender, like you name it. And I think. What we're struggling with in America is, you know, the, the idea of diversity, we should, let's just give it a name. America was built on slavery. There's a racist element that is underlying and, and you know, it's very, very palpable today and yesterday and a few weeks ago and has been given the political climate. Fashion and diversity, I think it's great. I think it's great that people are, using the word and recognizing it as an essential part of what we do. It's not, should we consider this? It's essential that yeah. as, as a global, like right now we have a global pandemic. This isn't happening to one person, you know, and it's, it, it's happening to everybody. And I think, you know, what we're seeing are the divisions of wealth in this. It's not the divisions of color. It's not the divisions of, you know, and I think that's what's really important in in the fashion world. We we do need to keep pushing it forward, but it would be nice to get to a point where it's not a conversation where it's just we are representing the world. This is a world economy. This is a global pandemic. The fashion people, you know, things we sell them to everybody, and I think that's what's really important. And a lot of the time, people talk about diversity without really understanding it as a as a middle-aged white woman I feel like it's a bit of a privilege talking about it and, and what I like to do is just have it reflected in my work and when yeah, people ask it. me yeah just do it and I say oh we did this and always ask I'm never going to assume that I'm doing my best either I'm always going to say could we do better 
how can you help me with this? Because I want to be sure that I'm doing the right thing. I think I, th- I get exactly what you're saying. You seem like one of those people that just never, ever saw it as a young kid. You know, for me, I never did it, differentiate between guys, girls, black, white. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't see it. I, I never did as a child. And it was a lot to do with the way I grew up. Um, and uh, that sounds very much like where you're coming from. Diversity was always in your life. Therefore, it isn't, a, you know, it isn't something to you. It's just you just that's the way you see the world you know yeah. and I think that's when when people use it as a keyword or as a box that they need to tick within anything that's kind of yeah I guess that's quite scary in a way do you think that's a cultural thing though that we don't talk about it in certain countries or in Europe it's not um labeled that we just like it's just the best person for the job and 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 they get the job, they get the brief, they get the, the model gets that. So it's instead of just being very. I, I remember being in America. I started. This was like ten years ago on this job. I'm talking about that. It had to be. There wasn't an Asian model in the show, but and it was it was a real point that we had to specifically tick that box. And I'd never come across that before in Europe and other jobs. So I was always thought, is it is it cultural? But Anita, for for our listeners who don't know what a casting director is, what exactly you do, can you explain to us what your role is? So essentially, in the in the fashion business, that used to be a photographer, a stylist, and a model would turn up with her model bag, and she'd have three different sets of pantyhose. And she'd have her own makeup. But as we've developed, we've created more jobs in this space, on this platform. And it just so happens that people like me made ourselves useful to, you know, photographers, designers, stylists, whereby we insert ourselves into their lives. And they say, we're going to shoot a campaign. I want 28 supermodels that can dance. I want um, 32 something, something. They'll give us a brief, okay? And our job is to interpret the brief and to bring them the best options of girls, boys, um, them, they, that, that could best support the brief, but also be a good idea for the brand. So, so we act as a, um, as a middle person, for the designer, the talent, the brand. And hopefully, if it's a larger company, we work as part of their marketing circle. So we, we, we check in with the marketing team, the advertising team, the, the studio to be sure that the faces that we're finding are in sync with what's going on all over the brand. So we provide them with talent. How much do you like to push them further than, the, than you know, like if you, how often do you... Do you always sometimes think we could actually take this a lot further with this brand that would make the brand even better? So you would push them maybe slightly in a, a direction that they hadn't thought of? Do you do you do that? Yeah, I think, you know, that's that's how you stand out, I think. I think if you can, what I found is the, the relationships you have with the designer, with the stylist, with the photographer, with the hair and makeup, it's very important. And if there's a stylist or a designer that you work very well with. I mean, I worked with Alexander Wang for 11 years since his very first collection. And, you know, with smaller designers, you go from the inside out. So you can really, you get in and you really help them with the nuts and bolts. With a larger design house, which has more people, you can definitely come with ideas. But I think what we're seeing 
as a as a um, result of this pandemic and all these big companies in America closing, these big companies get so big, you start to lose focus on the customer, the goal, the product. So you almost have to go back to that grassroots idea of from the inside out. And I think, you know, there, there's two ways for us. We can do the big corporate way because, you know, we've worked in America for many years and we love to do the inside out way because then you're really building something and creating an image and and helping find people that will support that image. How did you get to work with Alexander Wang? How did that initially happen? Well, Alex was in college and there was a model that I had worked with a few times, but she was very young. I think she was about 15, 16, maybe she's a bit older, called Jessica Stan. I got this call. Hi, my name's Alex. Jessica gave me your number and I'm doing a collection. Um, I'd love to show it to you. And I was like, oh, cute. Okay. At this time, though, I hadn't really done shows. I was doing a lot of photography. I'd worked with Trey Laird, had, had brought me on his team, and I was working with Peter Lindbergh a lot. So I was very enamored with the work. Like, I'm such a fan. So I was so excited, excited. And I was thinking, a oh, fashion show. I had worked a bit with Victor and Rolf, which I really enjoyed. But it's a lot. Of, a show is a lot of work. And, I, you know, in, in New York, I was able to do shows. I didn't have a big commitment here. And I met Alex and we just had, the, you know, a, a bit like those fashion fairies that I had, you know, with Edward and with Paul Humwick. We just sort of connected and it was 10 straight years of hysteria and fun and excitement. And, you know, the support was unparalleled. Like we... Mm-hmm the American fashion industry were desperate for an Alexander Wang. And it was, it was really fun. So we met for coffee and the rest was history kind of thing. That's incredible. Yeah, it was really fun. His shows were just showstoppers. They were remarkable from the lo- obscure locations to just the set design. And I guess that you were involved with all of that. That must have been so exhilarating, Anita, to kind of be at the right place at the right time. But you always seem to be at the right place at the right time. Naturally, though. Yeah, he was really fun. Yeah, that was, but, but that's when, that's when it works, right? And I think that the problem in fashion often is you sort of have to bow out when it's not working. Like, there's no real failures in fashion. You just have to keep being in areas where you're inspired, where you want to go the extra mile, where you're inspiring each other. And I think, you know, I, I've had... 10, 11, 12, I've had long, long relationships with clients and very short-term relationships that have been super successful. And I don't think any of them were ever a waste. It, it, it just is, everything is a learning curve in fashion because yes. it's always sort of ebbing and flowing, right? Yes. You, the minute you get stuck in an idea, I think then you're screwed. How does how does um, social, social media, like, you know, for instance, like you get a lot of young girls photographing themselves. I mean, obviously, I know that you did the Cast Me Mark campaign thing in two in two thousand and fourteen, but you know, like you get a lot of these kids photographing themselves constantly and putting up on social media. I mean, does that make your job harder, or does it make it easier to find them, or do people just like it go straight to because you know my daughter's been contacted a few times like privately on private messages on her social media for people saying, oh, could you do this or could you do that, and we're like blanket. But that's why I'm like, how does that affect your world? I think you know all of this emerging technology. We have 
to embrace it. I think, you know, in order to work with younger people, to, just to stay on top of what's new and what's emerging. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of, oh, it's not how it used to be. And I'm like, that's because it's not how it used to be, <laughs> right? And, and what really inspires me is to know how these kids are working, what they're responding to, how they want to be best represented. Because, you know, how somebody sees themselves in a picture is often, or represents themselves is often not how you see them in person, you know, because we're all, as far as I know, we're our biggest critics, you know what I mean? And I can see something in someone that they often can't see. I think, you know, social media has opened up our worlds in so many ways that is so, it can be so nourishing, but also there's that other side where it can, there can be bullying, there can be this, and it's all stuff that we have to look out for in life anyway. I was bullied at school. And I think these are important things to remember that, you know, I have a nine-year-old. I would like to protect him from all of that. This is a physical impossibility. So I know, the more I know about emerging technology, social media, Instagram, in my job, the more I can speak to him and what his wants and needs will be. And I want to know what these kids are up to. They inspire me because when I think about me as a 19-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 25-year-old, I, you know, that there was a lot of adversity. There was a lot of creativity. And, you know, without that adversity, would there be no creativity? I'm not so sure. So, yeah, and I think the social media is, for better, for worse, we're stuck with it. So for me, it's about getting to know it, making it work for my job, making people know that there's safe ways of using it. But also, let's look at the big picture. There's a, you know, the carbon footprint. We don't have to travel to eight different cities to meet all these different people. We can do it on social media. So I could definitely come up with a list of pros and cons. But if I had to give one answer, I think it's very helpful. I think there has to be checks and balances for teenagers and I think that it could be a community we can build very safely as long as we're all involved. I, I'm not going to leave my kid in a corner on an Instagram account. But, <laughs> but, but I, think, I think it's for the better. I think now that it's here, it's not going away. Mm. And I say we learn about it, embrace it, and use it to our advantage. And I think during this time that we've all found ourselves in, it's been pretty helpful sometimes just to connect. Yeah, definitely. What do you think is one of the most exciting parts of your job? What do you love? Like, what part do you love? Oh, I just, I'm like a frustrated photographer <laughs> meets design. Like, I just, I think I was all, without realising it, I was always quite academic. Like, I, I was, I, school came easy. I'm not, I'm not saying I sat there and read War and Peace, but school came very easy. And I was super lazy. So, the idea of actually sitting down and finishing anything was really, I, I had no interest. I wanted to get out, meet people. I wanted to go to the club, listen to the music. And you were never going to inspire me through school. The only reason I went to university was because I knew I'd need a degree to get to New York City. Oh, my God. That was always your dream then, to go to New York? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since I saw Taxi Driver. I don't know why. So... <laughs> And I really don't know. I'm why. loving all your references. It's so good. I'm like, this is brilliant. 
So, I mean, you know, my life's very different than taxi driver, but so I just, you know, I was very goal oriented. Do you know what I mean? And I think what, what I would have loved to have been able to do was I did work for the Association of Fashion and Editorial Photographers and mm-hmm. I worked on a book with them and I would have loved to have been able to sort of maybe do more with my degree. I have a sociology and public media degree, totally useless, but I found my strength was social and I got very lucky. And for that, I'm sort of, I'm very grateful. Do you know what I mean? But um, I think the most exciting part to go back to the question is you know, I work with people today that I met in 1987 that have known me since I was <laughs> a kid. You know, I travel the world. I was in China with a bunch of friends. I was here. And and that is not a, um, that's a privilege a lot of people don't get. And, and we travel with these designers and these clothes and we have these beautiful girls and we all get to hang out. And t- these experiences are you can't replace them with anything, you know, and, and that is wild that I found my community. You know, what? I found my people. This was where I grew up. And for better, for worse, sometimes it feels safe. Sometimes it like, you know, you, you have to sort of just going back to the question, what excites you? It all excites me, you know, social media, etc. I think all of the changes, you have to be flexible because it's never going to be like it was in 87, 93, 95, 2005. And I think that excites me is what's next. You make that sound so glamorous driving, flying around with the clothes and the samples. And anyone listening to this, I've got to tell you, it's really glamorous. It's really hard work. I think that's something. Yeah, it's really hard work, but we love the hard work. I mean, that's why we we do what we do. And that's why we've all been successful at doing what, what we do for a long time. You know, that's very much part of still being relevant and still doing a good job and being at the top of your game is loving what you do. And and it is hard. You know, some people would look, well, it's not like digging woods. No, it's not. But it is, you know, it's hard, hard. It's a hard slog getting the amount of stuff through an airport, getting on and off stuff, getting into a studio, getting up. You know, stupid things are thinking, how do we get it from A to B? And it is. And a lot of it is physical. But. Yeah, it's it's that's that's very much part of everything that we all do is because we love it and we work hard at it. Yeah. But also I think, you know, just sort of having grown up in this business, the one thing I really had to take a step back and really work on was that idea of like emotional intelligence. Because I think what what we're never prepared for in scenarios like this like when you work on a movie you're you're sort of protected there's a doctor there's a a, you know a baker a candlestick maker that everything is taken care of and I think in terms of the fashion business like what there are is there's a lot of very creative intense scenarios that often involve a lot of you know there's a lot of thought needs to be put into things and sometimes there's a lot of reactive behavior and there's a lot of there's a lot of behavior that we're not used to in our everyday lives right and and I think just going back to the models and going back to the idea what I try and do is you you don't protect people from that but you give them the tools if something makes you uncomfortable give me a shout if you're hungry 
come over here there's food and it has to be that basic to be honest like you have to in our world you have to point it out because essentially what I realize is I'm a big grown-up surrounded by teenagers who are very cool and I'm as enamored by them as they are possibly by me or not and we have to meet a common ground and usually it's over food or over a quick conversation but it is for me that emotional part that everybody that walks in isn't going to be a crying wreck or a nervous or or leave feeling that they didn't get their needs met and that is what I've learned along the way that didn't wasn't something I knew back in to you know 1999 kind of thing I suppose as, you, as, as well as you get older and you're more in the industry, you learn how to deal and probably spot those things from if there's if the model's off and not feeling right or there's something uncomfortable. I guess as time goes, with experience, you, you can notice things like that. What's, what's the biggest challenge you've had? Like what's something that someone's asked for and that you found very hard to kind of achieve? And Because I, I've had so many from when I used to be an assistant. I remember when I used to work with Carl Templer and Alex White, I assisted those guys. And that was an amazing, amazing experience. And Carl said to me, never be, never, you should never be satisfied with what you're doing because then it's time to stop. Which no. right, I understand because it's a bit like you're not loving the job then that you're doing. Right. You're always chasing and trying to achieve the best you can achieve. Yeah, I mean, I don't, that's that's a I'm just like amazed at that that's quite a strange thing to say because I think being satisfied in a job is one thing I think never being scared I think sometimes you've got to be nervous and scared I think that is you know to take on stuff that you've that's that the, the job changes and changes and changes would you know would that be like because I, I think we're all satisfied in our jobs but you know I think we keep pushing the envelope out till it, it yes, changes yeah. I think that's Probably where that comment came though from him, it was more meaning don't be, don't settle for something right. when you can push yourself more and achieve a better result. Yeah. I think that's kind of was the basis of of that conversation we were having when, and I just joined him and I think he was trying to teach me the ropes right. and, and and how to build, yeah, um, to be successful in, in a career that I was just trying to kind of get going on. But what's what's do you have do you have a burning desire to do something that you haven't done? I mean, is photography something you'd like to venture into? No, absolutely not. <laughs> um, you know why? <laughs> so, but, but you know, Charlene, I what you said just sparked something in me because there there's never a project, Karina, that I look at and go, I can't do that. But but Charlene, there is regularly this fear and and I I sort of it's sort of like a low-level anxiety and which I can also put down to like also um excitement when on every job like I've never found a job you know I've definitely screwed jobs up you know let's not I mean I'm not a saint here and I definitely you know I, I feel like eventually we're able to deliver because we're not doing open heart surgery. So there definitely was a learning curve where you had to work out how do I deliver something to someone who doesn't know what they want? How do I deliver something to someone who I'm so in awe of? We did this very big job that sticks in my mind before social media. Phyllis Posnick had called us from American Vogue and we were looking to do a, um, a casting 
for it was uh, it was about the beauty of obesity and it was Irving Penn was shooting it and it wasn't it was to in line with his book and they were doing a big article and the idea of all those elements at that point in my life just made me want to throw up like Irving Penn American Vogue Phyllis Posnick like <laughs> you know but, but again I think the the fire that got me on that internship and the excitement yeah. that just propelled me forward in these areas that you know I, I feel like I did get lucky certain people gave me certain opportunities that I was able to run with right? you and, took and, them. yeah you took them yeah and I think that was a moment where I was like wow and we did it we street cast it we took polaroids we did a file of polaroids and you know the picture was printed and it's beautiful and we have it as part of our body of work but when I think about the work now, what it's turned into is really that there's a huge, um, it's managing a lot of different people. So when you work with a big team, you have to manage so many different personalities, ensure that anybody you bring into the room, that they're your responsibility. And there's a lot more emotional management goes on than just hitting the street, looking for that character kind of thing, because you know, I think also young kids today, they're very in touch with themselves. They're in touch with what they'll put up with. They're in touch with what makes them comfortable. And they, they know the possibilities that, that are out there. And I find it really refreshing. But, you know, the job that we do today, as opposed to 10, 10 years ago, is very different. You know, it, it's not like 200 people for iPod. You know, it's it's Miu Miu, it's Mark Jacobs, it's Bottega Veneta, it's it's managing those houses and ensuring everybody is being treated in a certain way and that they're comfortable. And, you know, it adds a different skew to the job description, for sure. Do you think, I mean, with the pandemic, and obviously fashion's got to change drastically, and it was heading that way anyway, but in terms of your business and and the kind of the next seasons coming up are they are those things you've spoken to other houses about like how how do we all move forward and, and try and obtain our jobs when when we have this horrendous situation in the world happening right now well I think what's exciting about adverse situations is you will see and I have seen a lot of great creativity coming out of areas that you probably never expected it to and, you know, people at my level and at my age, and we, we've, we've enjoyed a great rewards financially, you know, exposure, et cetera, et cetera. And I think now is really a moment where we're going to get to sit back and start supporting new ideas, new ways of doing things, and, and really getting to grips with why it wasn't working, how we can help change it, and how we can pass the baton because what we were doing was obviously not working even without the pandemic and with the pandemic you know the guidelines are going to change and we're all going to have to remain very very flexible that said the world has to go on we will have clothes we will have a fashion business and it will all look different and we'll all look different you know but we've had small ideas of this with like September 11th and and you know the the, the recession etc cetera, etc cetera. but nothing has been on such a world scale which makes me really believe 
that the creativity will just be endless. And yeah. I think the, the 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 developments in how we present things, how we do things, will just get brilliant. I don't. I, I I'm feeling we're blessed with being in a world that is creative and as creative beings we're going to survive because it's just the nature of artists and how they work we have to and, and actually that's it's very well just listening to you say that Anita that seems very your character that you're kind of you're such a go-getter I can't believe your trajectory from just young age oh I want to go to the university because I've seen taxi driver <laughs> I'm going to go to London and I'm going to get a job at ID but stuff it I'm gonna walk in and get a job and just walk in and you make it sound so easy but it just seems you was you were very um just this has meant to be your life and you're very resilient um and I'm sure your company will adjust and adapt to new technology with casting with brands whatever's coming our way but I'm so excited to see kind of a change because I think it was needed and do you think do you not just also listening to you talk earlier about models and all of this it must be really lovely as well to see say a new face like Jessica Stam come through and just start to see them grow up, start to develop their own sense of identity, um, become mature and start to grow within the industry, get different campaigns. Yeah, become very successful, yeah. Yeah, you must love that. So like kind of an extension of motherhood, I guess, that you start seeing these young ones that you're nurturing. Are there any standouts for you? Yeah, I you know my my favorite story is Anna Uras. When we when we scouted her, she was in Germany, and Alex had just got to Balenciaga, and we scouted her for his first show. So she was like in school, and she turned up and was this just precious, backcombed hair, very polite German, beautiful makeup, Mary Janes, and and you know her trajectory was always wild to me because she wasn't a classic model. She wasn't classic size. Her beautiful face, she had a scar on her lip. Like that has been fun. And and she's an incredible model now. And, you know, she's somebody who put in the time. Okay, she was always beautiful, but she also learned to be a model, learned to make the most of the fact that she wasn't the tallest and she, you know, wasn't the thinnest. And she's, you know, that there was all those things that she just, got through she was like okay I'm just gonna do this so I love her but I have a great story when I was at ID magazine I went to a show on the King's Road I was an intern during student fashion week and I saw Alec Weck for the first time and it just blew my mind she just signed with Models One come to London fast forward her and I have consistently crossed paths so then we were friends and then I worked at Ford and she just left Ford, et cetera, et cetera. And then one day I'm moving into my new house in Brooklyn and the guy says, well, you work with models, your neighbor's a supermodel. And then I'm like, who the hell's my neighbor? And then I go outside. Sure enough, it's Alec. So, so oh yeah, so, so her and I have had, we've done so much work together, but we share this really wild connection whereby we're always the same place at the same time. So, so, so you know, Anna Uers, Alec Weck, Lexi Bowling, all girls that I've known since they pretty much started, Binks, and I think, you know, to their credit, it's really exciting to watch them grow, but all of these girls put in the time. They want to be models, and 
that I love models. Like the day that I got to sit to meet Cindy Crawford, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. All I could tell her was that I did her workout video when I was at university. I was so <laughs> <laughs> because for me, my celebrities were musicians and models. That was who I, you know, I wasn't so into actors and actors. I mean, I liked Robert De Niro, but um, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think you know, I I do. I get such a pleasure out of. The, you know, just having the privilege of watching these kids grow. But to me, that is a, it's a privilege, you know, just watching my own kid grow. I'm like, who is this? I know, Where did he come shocking. from? It's shocking how much yeah. a child grows and you suddenly like, my God, who are you? It's like, yeah, you know, they're just the things they come out with. It's amazing. But also they, there's a level of trust that these kids put in you when you meet them, they, you know, and that is sometimes can be overwhelming, especially as you get older, because, you're not the one they connect with. It's always someone else in my office. But the minute you give them a second, you're like, shit, okay, wow. And it it never, you know, I often get sort of like, uh, uh, you know, a bit speechless, like, wow, they're, they're very cool. Like, I, I'm very impressed a lot of the time. It's lovely here that you, it's, it's just, it's so refreshing to hear, you know, with the amount of success that you've got, that you still feel that way about watching these young kids coming up. It's just it's really really cool. You can hear the passion in your voice. Yeah. And the excitement. You love it. You love what you do. It's amazing. It's, there's nothing better than hearing someone talk about something they love. Yeah. I was so lucky. I mean, you know, I can't imagine another job I could have done that I, one, I didn't need a resume. And two, I didn't need to get into the office at 9 a.m. Taxi okay. driver. That's the one, babe. That's it. <laughs> Taxi driver. Exactly. That's it. You are, you oh are, you have got to live that part. We're going to get you a really good army jacket, get you a mohawk going on, got... and you were sorted. You live for oh all the God. <laughs> Yeah, it's my man. What can I tell you? So, but yeah, we're, you know, I'm feeling definitely, I'm feeling very optimistic. I think, you know, these are the time, these are the moments that really test you, aren't they? And I think. These are the times you have to decide which side of this you want to be on, I think. I don't know. I don't they say greatness comes from adversity. Yes, I agree. I think it's, yeah, yeah I, I totally do. do. I, I think you've got to be really optimistic in all But of listen, this. don't get me wrong. That's not to say I haven't had three nervous breakdowns a week trying to do fourth grade math. <laughs> and like juggling, juggling life like math, cooking four nights a week. I, no, I did not sign up for this. Like, we need to make sure we get delivery. Yeah, the cooking thing. That's why I'm married to a chef. And thank God my daughter is like uh, 17. I'm like, yes, I don't need to do the homeschooling. I just go and check that she's actually doing it online. I just keep an eye. That's all. I'm, I'm like, yes, I've hit the jackpot on this. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Anita, thank you so much. Oh, you guys, that was so fun. Thank you, Anita. Love talking to you. Love really learning about your job and, and the behind the scenes. It's There's so much I didn't know, and I'm sure all our listeners, like all my guys in the office were dying to hear this podcast. They thought you were mega, mega cool and wanted to understand kind of the, the, the career and how it really worked. So an enormous thank you to you. Oh, thank you guys so much. And I can't wait to see you. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, judging judging by your voices, you both look amazing today. 
<laughs> Likewise. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Anita. Thank you for listening, everyone. After speaking to Anita Bitten just now, we seem to have followed on the theme of the modelling industry. Our next guest is someone that nearly everyone, if not all, in the fashion industry knows. And if you don't know, you really should. I think I met him over 20 years ago when I was just starting out in the industry and was an assistant at W Magazine in New York City. He has certainly made his way up in his field to the very, very top. He has seen the likes of Carolyn Murphy to Carly Kloss to Amber Valletta grow from young girls into young women and some into motherhood. I hope you join us for our next podcast with the president of one of the top model agencies in the world, IMG Models. Next up is the lovely, humble Ivan Bart. Thank you for listening and supporting. Keep well and be safe. All the best. Bye-bye now.